Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. I said, good morning, everyone. Good morning. I said, good morning, everyone. Good morning. I love those lyrics of that song that says, uh, praise the king. He has risen. Hallelujah. He's alive. Is that right? Praise the king. He is risen. Hallelujah. He's alive. He's alive today. He's alive today. He's alive today. Hallelujah to his great name. Would you do me a favor? Would you stand up to your feet and would you praise that God that we serve? Would you do that? Come on. Well, we just take this opportunity. Would you do that this morning? Would all of you say hallelujah? He is risen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. Would you open your mouths and would you do that? Would you flood this place this morning? with hallelujahs. Praise you, Jesus. Come on, would you do that this morning? Would you do that? Would you do that? Would you do that this morning? Would you say hallelujah to the great King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, to the great I Am? Would you do that this morning? Hallelujah. 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 He's alive. He's alive this morning. Come on, would you give him a standing ovation? Would you do that? Would you give him a standing ovation? Would you tell him thank you this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're moving quickly today. We're going to start in John chapter 4. You may be seated. John chapter 4, verses 39 through 42. I'm so sorry. I get excited when I talk about the name of Jesus. I can't keep it to myself. He's worthy of praise. In fact, the word said, oh, clap your hands, all ye people. And shout out to God with the voice of triumph. He's worthy to be praised. Would you do me a favor and tell your neighbor, say, he's worthy, he's worthy. to be praised. Thank you, Michael. I heard it. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's worthy, he's worthy. to be praised. I know there might be some things that you might not be of your tradition to do, but uh, it's okay. It's okay. John chapter 4, verses 39 through 42, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this indeed is the savior of the world. It appears to me that when I turn on the TV, I get distracted by the news because of the issues that are going on in our country and in our world. Violent rates are through the roof amongst our youth. It's growing and growing and growing. 
political parties are at odds with each other, creating uh, fear and even hysteria, going back and forth, and even to last week with talks of a government shutdown. Back and forth and back and forth at odds. The interactions between black and brown people with particularly police officers and how they police. And the thing that we have been impacted most in the last year and a half, two years, now on what seems like is this global pandemic. Death rates are increasing. The effects of the pandemic. Arguments with each other about who's right. Those that are vaccinated, those that are unvaccinated. And I just shake my head and say, Lord, help your people. So much going on. I ask the question, Lord, where are you in all of this? Where are you, Lord? What are you trying to say to us through all of this? How is your glory being revealed in all of this craziness? But I'm comforted in knowing the response from the Lord through his word. And that is simply our Lord is not a part of this world. And he's not a part of this kingdom. In John chapter 17, it says, they are not of the world just as, not, just as I am not of the world. Which means that we are in it, but we're not of it. That there is, in fact, a different kingdom that we are a part of with a different ruler. We have a king, the one true and living king with our own philosophies, which is his, the one that he gives us, with his own benefits. We are not a part of this world. But in fact, that we are part of something way bigger than ourselves. And that is the kingdom of God. So I say, Lord, now I got questions for you. I don't know if people really understand the concept of kingdom. I don't know if people really understand what we are part of. I don't know if people really understand your vision for kingdom. Because if we understood, it would challenge us in every way. 
So that's one loaded question. I, I don't know if you talk to the Lord like I do, but I just asked him just like that. Lord, what's up? The second thing that I've asked the Lord is, in fact, if we understand what kingdom is, then we sure have a very shallow view of what it is. Maybe it's the the people that are around us that we are, say, a part of our kingdom and those that we see every day and those that we see every week. And there's nothing wrong with that other than the fact that the kingdom is way bigger than the person you're sitting next to. It's way, way, way more broad. This kingdom I'm referring to is one that God has structured himself. Those of us who believe in him and are believers and followers of him, we are adopted into something called a family. We are adopted and we are made children of God. What a wonderful title did I get the slap on my head that I am a child of God. Oh, it's way too quiet in here for that. (laughs) Would you do me a favor and turn to your neighbor saying, I am, do it, a child of God. So then my question to are you? I said, are you? Then turn to the other neighbor and say, I am a child of God. And if you are a child of God and I am a child of God, huh, you're a child of God and I'm a child of God? You're a child of God, you're a child of God, I'm a child of God, and you're a child of God, yes, yes, and you're a child of God too. And you know what that make us? Family. That makes us family. That, in fact, makes us brothers and sisters. We have a father who's a ruler, and we are his children. So that makes us family. That makes us brothers and sisters. So that means a part of this kingdom are brothers and sisters that I've never met before. We have family members that are in Africa. We have family members that are in Europe. We have family members that are in Asia. You say, what? I don't know nobody out there. Yes, you do. You know why? Because blood does not make us family. What was done at the cross makes us family. The blood that was shed at the cross is what makes us family. If you are a believer and I'm a believer, then we are brothers and sisters. 
And if we are brothers and sisters, then I suggest today that we do what family does. And that is family protects one another. Family loves one another. Family holds each other accountable. Family rebukes one another. Blood doesn't make us family. In fact, I'm a Nashville native. I love Nashville. Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> love it. And I have family all over Nashville. East side, west side, north side, south side. And they are my natural family, blood family. But some of them are not believers. And so they are not a part of the kingdom. And as much as I love them, And I do. And I love them. And I do. But I'm looking at family right here, sitting in this room, because we're talking about a different type of family. We're talking about the kingdom of God. And in our family, we all... I want, I want you to know something. Our family members don't look alike, always. Because if you are my brother and my sister, I'm telling you, we, look, we don't look alike. There are some cultural things that are just different. I say things that this part of the family don't say. We go places that you might not go to. We eat food that may be different. If you've never had fish and spaghetti together, you ain't had nothing. <laughs> fish, spaghetti, and coleslaw is a meal. And you have a family member that eats like that that maybe you don't. But that doesn't stop us from being family. In fact, the word says, when we deal with family, in loving, protecting, holding each other accountable, something else we do. We don't let things slide. If you're hurting, then I hurt. If you're rejoicing, then I rejoice. That's what the scripture says. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 26. For when we suffer, we all suffer. And when we honor, we rejoice. That's what the word says. You have family members all over this city, including Napier. There are family. 
family members that you have not met yet. There are family members that I have not met yet. Right here at Granny White, some of you I've never laid eyes on before. That doesn't mean that you're not my family. And so when I hurt, if Chad is my brother like he is, then Chad hurts. When I'm being honored, then he's happy for me. Just like I heard several of you clap this morning when you heard the announcement that I came on staff. I heard you. My family clapped for me. My brothers and sisters clapped for me. Thank you. But there's a harvest off of Lafayette Street, Charles E. Davis Boulevard, Cannon Street, Kell Street, Fairfield Avenue. Brothers and sisters that are waiting to be a part of the family because they're going to be presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, you were supposed to be excited for that one. I said the gospel is being preached to different areas of this city, including Napier. No, no, no. I said the gospel, the same gospel that you and I heard, someone else is going to get an opportunity to hear that because of what's been preached. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the Bible, it tells us that Jesus and John, I'm there now, John, in John chapter 4, that Jesus was leaving Judea or Judea and was crossing through to Galilee and crossed through Samaria. Samarians and Jews did not like each other whatsoever. In fact, you can almost say that they hated one another. And some Jews looked at Samaritans as being nasty and unclean. So why was it important for Jesus to tell us through the scripture why he did what he did? Let me tell you what he did. As he was journeying, he was tired and sat down by a well. And there was a Samaritan woman that came to the well when she came to the well, like she does, she encounters Jesus. The lady was so thrown back and said, how is it that you're talking to me? I know that you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. We don't mix. Jesus, being who Jesus is, the same Jesus that spoke to me, the same Jesus that spoke to you, spoke to her and said, let me show you a way. Let me show you kindness. Let me show you mercy. Let me show you grace. Let me give you myself. And when he did that, that lady's life was changed forever.
I don't know about you, but my life has been changed based upon what the Lord has done for me. That lady, Samaritan lady, went back to her people and said, listen, you got to meet this guy. Because when you meet this guy, your life is going to change. So she went and she shared about this guy, asked Jesus to come where they were. He stayed there two days longer than what he was intended to stay. And the Bible says that more of them believed because they were, had an encounter with Jesus. Our amen goes right there. Amen. Hallelujah goes right there. When she had an encounter with Jesus, she told her people, he stayed there with them and more believed because of them. That is what is happening in Napier right now. The good news of Jesus is being preached and taught. I said the good news, the gospel of Jesus is being taught it's been preached through our lives and those that we're connecting with. Hallelujah goes right there. No, I said hallelujah goes right there. Jonathan, come and tell us about our brothers and sisters that are in Napier. Amen. I don't know if you guys heard what he said. <laughs> Glad I got this mic. No, what, what, what DeCarlos just said is something amazing. What DeCarlos just shared is that God has a vision. And here's the thing about when God has a vision. When God has a vision, it's, just, it's not just wishful thinking. It's not just, oh, I hope, Maybe. What I see is going to come to pass. No, when, when, when God has a vision, he's just waiting for it to happen. Amen. So what that means is that when we say we are following God's vision to see this kingdom and this family formed in the Napier community of South Nashville, we say we expect to see it happen. And we're looking to see it happen. We're waiting to see God's kingdom building family-forming vision to come true in the Napier community. That's our vision, which is what we believe he's doing. So I want you to think about the people you've spent time with in the last 24 hours. Just think through who you have spent time with, who in your life has been close to you in the last, just the last 24 hours. Some of those are your family. Just like DeCarlos said. And all of those, to some degree, are your community. Well, we have a neighborhood that we are called to. And we want to see the family that God is forming, the family that God imagines to be pulled from that community to be made our family. So there are three points. There are three parts of our vision, three things that we are looking for God to do that we're expecting God to do. 
to see happen. Number one, in the Napier ministry, through our work, we want to see a thriving church family. We want to see the Lord bring about a thriving church family from within this community. And here's what's hilarious, y'all. There are six churches in our neighborhood. There are six churches between here and up the street at 12 South. Six of them. And I believe, as best I can tell, and in my experience with them, they're preaching the gospel. So people have asked me, what? What in the world? Why are we planting another church in this neighborhood? Well, let me tell you a little bit about the Napier community. The Napier community, about 70% of the folks, as we can tell, about 70% of folks don't have a church home, even with six churches in their neighborhood. And so what that means is about 80%, as best we can tell, about 80% of those churches in the community are full of people that don't live in that neighborhood. They're historic members of those churches in this community that drive in from the outside. And so there is a vast majority of folks in our neighborhood, young folks, folks that have not lived there very long, that are looking for a family. And we want to see the Lord form this church family from within his kingdom and in the particular neighborhood of his kingdom called Napier. We know that there is tremendous trauma in that neighborhood, all kinds of trauma but including spiritual trauma, or I should say religious trauma, and church hurt in that neighborhood where people do not feel like the church is for them. The shame that exists of people that have had the stories of many of the people that I know means to them that they cannot come in this building, that they're not welcome. And we do something that all family does. We know that about each other. We know that about our neighbors. We know the things that they're ashamed of. We know the core concerns that they have. And what do you do when you know someone? You then love them in that place. And so we want to, and we do, and we want to more know our family, know the community, and then love them in that place. And so what that means is we are building a particular kind of church family. We want to build the right kind of church for this community. We want to invite people into the right kind of place that will be healing for them, that will be attractive to them. So we're not afraid of being non-traditional. We're not afraid of being innovative. Words that can sometimes be really scary in church. Not for the sake of being non-traditional or for the sake of being innovative, but for the sake of reaching our brothers and our sisters and taking them from strangers to neighbors and neighbors to family. So we are setting the table. We are setting the table of the family within that community. In particular, it's a kitchen table. Because where does the family gather? Around the kitchen table. And what happens around that kitchen table? All the things that my brother shared with you. Fish and spaghetti happens around that table with a side of coleslaw. And so as the family gathers around the table and, and looks at one another and gathers around one another, they're fed. They're fed by the Holy Spirit that lives in all of us. They're nourished. And what comes with nourishment? You grow up. You develop. You are transformed. That is what happens around our kitchen tables, and that's what we want to do is set a table in the Napier community where authentic relationships 
authentic, real, honoring, dignifying, mutual relationships are transformative for the lives of people. And here's what we say. Authentic relationships where love transforms around the table. The love of God transforms around the table. So we are building, we see the Lord building a thriving church family, but not just that. Because what does that family then do? The family is now about the business of a thriving neighborhood community. See why Randy does not write big words on this board. The family is about the business of a thriving neighborhood community. And so this family wants to see the transformation of the Napier community. A community that is absolutely marginalized in all the areas that you can imagine. That's not at the center of access to things. They're on the edge of access to things. There is no grocery store in a neighborhood that has some of the highest health needs in the entire uh, county. There's not, a, there's not a grocery store in a neighborhood where 80% of people don't have transportation just a couple miles down the road. And so we take on, we bear, as scripture says, like a burden, we bear the core concerns of our neighbors. That's how we love one another. And we care about things like peace, where there's violence and strife and relational tension. We care about justice, in a place where there is injustice. We care about access to essential things that we take for granted. We care about these things because it's our family. So this church is going to be about the business of creating a thriving neighborhood, of community gardens, of grocery stores, of access to fun things to do. of places to go to have a good time and to experience community safely and healthily. We want to give our neighbors something we talk about around here sometimes. We want to give our neighbors a sanctified imagination. A sanctified, which means a transformed imagination to imagine what you could have that you've never even seen before. To begin to want and and, and have a taste for something that you've never tasted before. We want to give that as a gift to people because that's part of what transformation means is you begin to hope for what can be and then together with your family work to see it come true. We want to open people's eyes to hope for what they don't see yet. So we are taking strangers to make them neighbors and neighbors to make them family. So they can come into this thriving church family to then be about the business again of transforming their neighborhood. And so the table doesn't just look like this. The table looks like this, where the neighbors now go out. You leave the kitchen table to go out to the community. And finally, number three, and this is the most radical of all, y'all. It's really not, but it'll sound like it. Number three, we actually believe something. We believe that the Napier community, the Lord sees it being a discipleship, which means a transformative, a maturing, a changing force for Midtown. 
We believe this community, the Lord sees it and is going to make it a transformative force for this place and for the whole Midtown family because there is all kinds of poverty, y'all, all kinds of poverty. And certain wealth begets certain poverty in other areas. And certain poverty begets certain wealth in other areas. There is a wealth of resources in the Napier community. There's a wealth of strength. There's a wealth of community. There's a, there's a wealth of grit, of determination, a wealth of resilience, and a wealth of dependence on Jesus. Which last time I read the Bible, that might be the greatest thing the Lord says his children need is dependence on him. And there's a wealth of that in the Napier community. And I wonder how much of that we need here. I agree. So the way that Napier is a discipleship force for Midtown is if Midtown goes to Napier. Isn't that interesting? Because what does the Bible call us to do? It calls us, is my third circle, to travel to the margins. Scripture calls us to go where Jesus went, which is to the margins of society. Why did Jesus spend all his time with marginalized people, with tax collectors? Very wealthy, still marginalized. With poor beggars. With sinners. Why did Jesus do that? Because it was a picture of what he wants his people to do, which is to travel to the margins to identify with those on the outside. And what does Jesus know will happen when we do that? When we identify with those on the outside. Well, of course, it'll help bring them to the inside, but it'll do something all the more important. It'll remind us how that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Because you are the marginalized. If you're living, breathing, uh, red-blooded human in here this morning, you are marginalized by your sin. Every single one of us, when Jesus came to claim us, he had to go to the margins to get us. He had to go to the margins of access to him where we had placed ourselves in our sin, and he came and identified with us. 2 Corinthians 5 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. He moved to the margin. He became the worst of us so that he could claim us and make us family. And that is why the gospel calls you also to the margin, to identify with the people that the Lord wants to, you to see yourself in. And that's very hard to do because it's usually those very things that I spend all my time and all my resources protecting myself from. But he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we all might become the righteousness of God, which means family.